All right, so do we have uh, any golf players in here? I know there's a few up here. I know there's a few up here. All right, so for those of you who don't know uh, the rules of golf, there's a certain rule that's different from every other rule, and that rule is lowest score wins. So usually in basketball or soccer or, or uh, hockey, foosball, um, highest score wins. But for golf, it's the lowest score. So one of my favorite things to do in my free time is to play golf. And I'd say I'm, I'd say I'm a pretty average golfer. Jack would agree. Jack would agree. Um, I'm usually mid-80s, uh, mid high-80s. Jack's telling me not to, not to lie. Um, but I love how, how fun it is because it's so challenging. Every time you go into the course, you can either have a good day or you can have a bad day. There's really no in-between. There's no, there's no days where you leave the golf course and say, well, I did okay. No, it's either, man, I rocked it or I played terrible. So that's one of, that's one of the things I love about golf is it's always so challenging. And every time you're going to shoot a different score, one round will be good, the next round will be bad. And something I struggle with is shooting low every time. That's something I struggle with, is, is, is shooting, it, like being consistent with my scores. I just want to be able to go out there every weekend and shoot a good score, not really putting in the practice every week. So I, obviously that's definitely some of my problem is I don't really like to go to the range or, or practice putting. Um, but when I try to go out here and practice, that's the whole thing is I just go out there every weekend and just play. I don't worry about, man, am I, you know, am I hitting it well? Am I striking it well? Am I getting under the ball good enough? I just go out there and play. So when I shoot a bad score, I kind of am re like reaping what I sow. If I don't practice, I don't play well. But if I do practice, I play a little better. <laughs> so maybe you can relate to this. Uh, maybe you struggle with school and you just want to be smarter, but you don't want to study. Right? That, was a, that was a common thing for me, too, is that I wasn't the best at school, so I always had to try a little bit harder than everyone else to pass. Or maybe you're on the soccer team or on the, the baseball team at school, and you want to be the best on your team, but you don't want to practice. Right? You just want to come up to games. You just want to scrimmage. I mean, that's what I always want to do when I played basketball. Just, I, I just wanted to scrimmage and play games. I didn't really want to worry about practice, right? We just want this instant, whatever we do, we just want to be instantly good at it, whatever it is. So maybe you guys can relate to that, but, but tonight we are in our last part of our teaching series after Egypt. And for the past few weeks, we have been looking at what has happened when they left Egypt. And this has been an extremely tough time for them, but God has been there with them every step of the way to lead them and provide for them. Last week, uh, we looked at the Battle of Rephidim and how the Israelites were blindsided in an attack and needed to depend on God to win the battle. And because of their trust they put in God, they were victorious. So we talked about it a little bit last week, but um, these Israelites, they were blindsided. They were attacked from behind, and they needed to trust God with everything they had or they would lose. Well, we read that they did trust the Lord, and that's why they were victorious, so tonight, we're going to fast forward a few months, and, and a lot takes place during this time. So we ended last week in Exodus 17, 
But tonight we're starting in Exodus 32, and uh, the, the first three parts of this series, we've been really close together in chapters, so we really haven't missed a lot of, uh, of what has happened. But going and fast-forwarding all the way to chapter 32, this is months and months of, of things that have happened. And so they are, they are continuing towards the promised land, and we see that God creates this new covenant with the Israelite people. And a covenant is an agreement. It is an agreement between God and his people that the people of Israel that they want, they would, they would follow him, right? So this covenant is between God and the Israelite people agreeing, the Israelite people agreeing to God that we are going to follow you. We're gonna live for you, we're gonna love you, and we're gonna, we're gonna go wherever you lead us. So they, they've made this covenant agreement. And from this covenant agreement come the 10 commandments. That's Exodus chapter 20. And we read about the 10 commandments, we all know about that. Right, that, uh, that he provides Moses with these Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments were a set of laws that God gave to the people to follow. And after the Ten Commandments are brought to the people, in chapters 25 and 31, we see all the special details of the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. And these chapters describe everything that people needed to do to create this tabernacle correctly. So we see that right before we start tonight, now they are discussing these tabernacle details. How does it need to be put together? What are the, what are the, the blueprints of this, the instructions? How does it need to be uh, built? Everything that kind of talks about is going in Exodus 25 through 31. But then we enter our story tonight, where Moses is on top of, of Mount Sinai, giving the details of what the tabernacle is supposed to look like. Right, so we, uh, in 25 and 31, it's explaining all the details that a tabernacle needs to have with the Ark of the Covenant. And this is basically a place where Israelites could worship God. And so now we see Moses. He's on the top of Mount Sinai getting these instructions from God. And we find the Israelites in the valley breaking their new covenant they just made with God. So we're going to start in Exodus 32, verse 1. And it says this, when the people saw that Moses was so long and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So we see here that the people have become impatient on waiting on Moses, that, that Moses told them, he said, guys, I'm going to go up to the top of the mountain, I'm going to get what I need from God, and we're going to move on. So at this time that the Israelites are starting to get impatient, he's been up there for 40 days and 40 nights. So he's been up there for a little over a month and a half, right? So you can maybe relate to the Israelites of, okay, that's a, decent, that's a decently long time. So they're getting impatient, right? Uh, but he's getting these blueprints like we talked about at the tabernacle. But I want you to see something here. It says in the very beginning of verse 1 that the, the people saw Moses was so long, and coming down. Basically saying that they saw Moses having this interaction with God, and yet they were still impatient. So they could see Moses and God actually having a conversation and actually uh, him receiving these things that he needed, but yet they didn't care. Yet they didn't care. They, they valued what they had going on more than what Moses was doing with God. They were so concerned with themselves and Man, what about us? Man, you've been up here for forever. What are we supposed to be doing down here? Right? They valued more what was going on with them than they cared about God and Moses. So we're going to continue on and look at verse 4. And this is when it starts to get interesting. 
right? This is when it's the, the, the tables start to turn, the pages start to flip. And so in verse four, he said, he took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf. Fashioning it with a tool, they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented uh, fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink. So we see here that now the Israelites, their impatience has turned to their impatience has turned to sin, that they don't want to wait for God anymore, so they're going to do life on their own, kind of what we talked about uh, two weeks ago. And they build this golden calf, right? They build this golden bull, and they build an, an altar around it, and, and it's like lit up with fire. I mean, it, the thing's extraordinary. It's big, right? And so they build this altar And instead of being patient and waiting on Moses to come down to give them instructions, they're just going to do it themselves, right? We just saw them, they made this covenant with God and said, yes, we're going to follow you, we're going to let you lead us, you provide for us, and we're going to let you do that. But it didn't matter. They were impatient, and they said, all right, forget Moses's and God's tabernacle, we're going to do this on our own. We're going to to build our, our own idol, Right, and so when Aaron saw this, right here, instead of verse 5, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival. And we know about Aaron. We've learned about Aaron. We, we've seen him in the past. A few chapters when we've talked about, right, bro- brother of Moses, friend of Moses, confidant of Moses. And so instead of telling the people, you know, I don't think this is a good idea, he agrees with them. But not only he agrees with them, he said, let's have a festival. I mean, Aaron is all for this, and Aaron knows this is not a good idea. Aaron knows this is a terrible idea, but I mean, just, I just want you to imagine how Aaron felt, right? He was, he was outnumbered. He didn't have Moses there to support him. It was a lot easier for him to just go along with this instead of call the people out. But, but Aaron knew right, but he didn't care. He was, just, he was just too overwhelmed. So they built this altar and this idol, and they started to worship it. Now, I don't get this mistaken, because a lot of people do, when, when they read this, they think that they've built, they've built a fake god and worshiped him. Now, it was an idol, but they said, we want to build this god of what our god looks like. Right? So they're thinking of the same god, but here's why they make it into a calf. So growing up in Egyptian culture, the, the, the symbol of power was a calf. And if they could see one thing about God and, and one characteristic of God is that he was powerful, right? He provided food, he's provided water, the Red Sea split. He's done so much for these, for these people that when they think of God, they think of power, power. And so the Egyptian symbol of power is a calf, so that's why they made it a golden calf. And we see, it's funny, that the first two commandments that God wrote are don't have any other gods beside me and don't have any other idols. And they break the first two commandments that God has said. So we're gonna go ahead and skip over seven, uh, verses seven and 14, but I wanna summarize a little bit because it's important to note that Moses and God are now having this conversation and God has become angry. So God can see what's going down in the valley. Moses can, and so God's becoming angry. 
And Moses is trying to calm them down, and, and, and God wants to destroy these people. And Moses said, no, 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 these are my people. Right? He's pleading with God to let them live. And so God gives Moses a test. He gives Moses a test by telling him that he would destroy all of these people, and you can start with your own family. So that was the, that, that, that's the test that God gave to Moses. Moses, I'll destroy all of these people. I'll destroy all of these people, and you can start with your own family. Pretty good deal. Pretty good deal because these Israelites have become so dis- disobedient. They're kind of annoying because they don't listen to Moses. They don't listen to God. They don't listen to anybody. And so God gives an opportunity for Moses. Hey, I'll destroy all these people, and you can start with your own family. To most people, this would sound like a deal, right, because of how disobedient the Israelites have been, that he could, he could completely start over and not have to deal with these people anymore. And I think anyone would have taken up God on his offer, but God was testing Moses to see how faithful he would be to the people that God put him in place to lead. And Moses passed the test. Instead of agreeing with God to, to destroy everyone, he said, no, please let them live. I, I, I want to continue to lead them. Right, so Moses passed this test. And we continue here in verse 19. It says, when Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned. And he threw the tablets out of his hand, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf, uh, the people that, that had made it, and burned it in the fire. And then he grounded it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such a great sin? So finally, we see that Moses has, has come down from the mountain to see what's going on, and he sees people dancing and worshiping this idol. And he is, he's mad. He's furious, right? It says that his anger burned. So this is more than just, just you know, the, the regular when someone cuts you off and you get mad, but I mean, his, and his anger is, it's, it's big, Right? And he's mad because the people are doing exactly what God told them not to do. I mean, these are the first two commandments that are in the Ten Commandments. Don't have any other gods beside me and don't have any idols. They broke the first two. And so he comes down after having this, this conversation with God and spending 40 and 50 days with him. He comes down to see these people yet again disobeying what God has said. Yet again, All right, verses ago in this conversation with God, it seemed like Moses was trying to calm down God, but now Moses is their angry one. But why did he break the tablets? Right, it said that he broke the tablets and they fell down to pieces. Why did he break them? I think he broke them because he was angry, but also it became a representation that the people have broken the new covenant they made with God. So not only was he angry, but the, the tablets breaking to pieces showed and represented the Israelite people breaking their covenant they had with God. Moses now, he, he burns the idol that they have made, makes it into powder, and makes them drink it. You might think this is harsh, but I think there's a reason Moses is, is making them do this. And I just want to just let that sink in for a second. He takes this huge golden calf idol, burns it into ashen powder, throws it into the river, and then makes them drink it. I mean, that's pretty intense, but 
the reason wasn't that Moses was, was just trying to give them an upset stomach. The reason Moses did this is because he's trying to make them sick of the sin they committed. It goes past just having an upset stomach, but Moses wants to make sure these people are sick of the sin they just committed. Right here at the end of the verse, of our last verse, he says, what have they done to make you commit such a great sin? Right? He, he wants them to be sick. He wants them to be sick of the sin they committed because they broke God's heart. And he wants them to feel that. As we continue on in verse 26, it said, So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did this, as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 people died. So Moses basically gives them this ultimatum. He said, you're either going to choose God or you're going to choose this idol. There's no in between. And if you choose to follow me and, this, and God, then we're going to go ahead and we're going to keep on traveling to the promised land. But if you want to choose this idol... If you want to choose this idol, then you're going to die. Again, again, we see that Moses is, is being very hard and harsh. But again, I think there's another reason that God's trying to show us. It's symbolic for something that God wants us to see. So what does God want us to see by 3,000 people that didn't choose him dying? Here's what he wants us to see, that if we have idols in our life, we need to cut them out. If we have things that we are placing over God or in God's place, then we need to get rid of them because we're breaking the covenant we have with God. So it's trying to show us that these people, they didn't want to follow God anymore. They wanted to find their satisfaction and their gratification in these idols, in these things that brought them pleasure only for a little bit. They said they'd rather follow that than God. And so they had to die. But God's showing us that if we have idols in our life, they need to go. They need to go. When we come to Jesus for the first time, we, we, we make a covenant with God. Just how that God and the Israelites made a covenant, a promise to stick together to the end, a covenant that says, I give you and only you my heart and I will follow you and only you for the rest of my days. That's the covenant we make with God when we come to Jesus for the first time. It says, I can't do this life on my own anymore, and so I'm gonna give my life to you. I'm gonna let you run my life. Right? That, that's the, that's the, what the Israelites wanted to do. That's what they wanted to do going forward, but they broke that covenant. When we put things in the place of God, we are breaking a covenant we made. When we come to Jesus for the first time, we ask him to come into our heart and save us. Save us because we're sinners. Right? And so when we put idols in our life, when we have idols in our life, God's not number one anymore. That's not, what, that's not the promise, and that's not what we asked him to do. We don't ask Jesus to come into our life 
to be second or third or fourth. We ask him to be first. And so when you put idols in your life, you're breaking that covenant that you made with him. So what's the problem with the Israelites? The Israelites, the Israelite people hate waiting for the Lord. They wanted instant gratification. That's why they wanted to, this idol to be built, so they could have what they wanted now. They didn't want to wait anymore. And Moses has been on uh, the top of Mount Sinai for a long time. They said, you know what, just forget it. Just forget it. We're going to do this our own way. We're going to build our own uh, altar, and we're going to worship, and we're going to do this the, the way that we want. Right? That obviously didn't work the way that they thought it would. They thought maybe Moses would come down from the mountain and be pleased with what's going on, but he wasn't. So I want you guys to realize something, and it's this. Stop reaching for instant gratification in idols and start finding your satisfaction and contentment in the Lord. Stop reaching for instant gratification in idols and start finding your satisfaction and contentment in the Lord. That's the main idea here. That's what the Lord is trying to show us and Moses is trying to show the Israelite people is these idols, they're not gonna get you anywhere. You think they're gonna satisfy you, but they're not. They're gonna continue to leave you feeling empty. But I understand it's a lot easier said than done because we live in a world and a a culture that says if we want it, we can have it right now. I mean, it's a crazy thing. Like, like Amazon, you can order something in the morning and it will be at your house at night. I mean, it's just wild. You can order groceries to your, store, uh, to your home. You can have uh, anything, anything you want. Groceries, food, uh, medicine. I mean, you, can, you don't even have to leave your house anymore to get the things that you want right now. Man, if you're feeling a Big Mac from McDonald's, you can just go on your phone and hook yourself up with a Big Mac. Someone's going to show up in 20 minutes. <laughs> a pretty good deal, though. I mean, but, but this is what our culture is moving towards. If you want it, you can have it, and you can have it now. Right? And we get caught up in this, this instant gratification that we have towards other things. But, man, you need to start finding your satisfaction and your contentment in the Lord. And here are some of the things we get caught up in. Having the nicest stuff, being the best on our sports teams, what what people think of us, being the smartest in your grade, being popular and having the most friends. We want to have the best job and make the most money when we get older. How many followers we have on social media. All these things are idols in our life. I'm not saying it's bad to desire to be the best in your sports team or to look nice when you go out places or be the smartest in your grade or to even care what people think about you. I'm not saying it's bad to desire that. But I am saying when you become so obsessed with these things and you start putting them over God and forgetting who God created you to be, then that's when it becomes a problem. That's when it becomes an issue. When all you care about is being popular, and having the most friends. You can always have more friends, or having the most followers on social media, or looking the best when we post, getting the most likes. Guess what? You'll never be satisfied, because you can always have more followers. 
You can always have more friends. You can always be more popular. You can always be better at your sport. And we're not satisfied. We, we try to claw and claw for more. Right? We forget who God's created us to be in him. The consequence of, of instant gratification is it doesn't last. It will always leave you feeling empty and unsatisfied. A lot of you, a lot of what you care about is this. Man, am I the most popular at my school? And you think about it all the time. You check your, you check your profile on Instagram. Man, do I look good in this, this picture? Man, why don't I have over 200 likes? Why don't I have over 10 comments? Right? And you just start to, to the, these thoughts, they take your mind captive. Whatever that is, maybe it's not social media. Maybe uh, you're pushed and pushed by being the best at what you do, the sport, or uh, maybe in band or something. But how do we identify these idols? How do we identify these idols in our life and, and kind of figure out how they become a problem for us? And I want to ask you three simple questions to consider tonight, just three. Number one, what do you prioritize? What do you prioritize? What are the things that you feel that you need to get done? When you wake up in the morning, there, I, I, I know a lot of you guys are, are busy with school, with work, with the clubs, with sports. But man, what do you prioritize? What are you thinking about every day? What are the things that, that, that need to get done? Number two, how do you spend your time? How do you spend your time? Do you have a dedicated time you spend with Jesus? Do you have a dedicated time that you, do you put to the side and say, no matter what, I'm gonna spend 15, 20, 30 minutes with Jesus, and I'm gonna get this done today? Or are you scrolling through Instagram or TikTok for three or four hours? And you push God to the side. Number three, and I think this is the most important question, is what do you think about the most? What do you think about the most? What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts that, that take your mind captive? Because all these idols, these things that we, that we want, that we think will satisfy us, that's all we think about. Like, what's right here when you wake up in the morning? What are you thinking about? What are you thinking about throughout your day? Is it, man, how can I be, how can I honor God today? How can I share the gospel with someone? Or is it, man, what can I do to get more popular? What you prioritize, how you spend your time, and what you think about most is often a strong indicator of what you value most. So the question is tonight, is God the thing you value most in your life? Is God the thing you value most in your life? Be honest with yourself, right? We all have at least one thing that comes to mind when we ask ourselves this question. And I want to, I kind of just want you guys to, to focus on this right here. And I think having idols in your life, having things over God says a lot about yourself. What do you mean? What do you mean when I, when I say that? I think having idols means you have felt like you have lost your sense of closeness with God, and now you're trying to replace that closeness with something else. 
that you have lost. You felt like you've lost this closeness with God, and now you're trying to replace that closeness with something else, whatever it may be. Because I'll tell you right now, there's going to be a season in your life, there's going to be days and months where you don't feel like God is close. And if you haven't experienced that yet, unfortunately, that time is coming. There's going to be a time in our life where we don't feel like God is close. And so instead of trying to, to really draw near to him and rest in him and find our, our satisfaction and contentment in him, instead we're going to try to do it in something else. Man, I want to find my satisfaction in being the most popular at school, having the most friends. Man, what, do people, what are people thinking about me? when I'm not around, what what do they think of me, right? All these things. Man, take your mind captive. And you're trying to replace that closeness with something else. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this, and we'll end. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. For you. God promises us in Scripture that He is enough. He is enough. That you can find your full satisfaction in Him and you can rest in the Lord that He is enough. That you don't have to try to satisfy yourself and other things besides Him. He promises us right here hey, my grace, it's sufficient for you. I'm enough. I'm all you need. It doesn't matter what other people think about you. It it only matters what I think about you. My son, my daughter. Right? That he is enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for this day. God, we thank you for uh, Belshul Student Ministry. And God, I, I come to you tonight. Even in my life, God, there's things that I put over you that I get so caught up in, in just being the best at something or, or whatever it may be. I, I know there's students here tonight as well who, who, who feel that way, who feel the same way, that they are putting things over you. But God, you promise us and you show us in your word that you are enough. God, that we don't have to to reach to have instant gratification, but we can rest in the fact knowing that you are sufficient enough, that your grace is sufficient. So God, I pray that, that tonight students don't leave here without laying their idols at your feet, without throwing them and breaking them, cutting them off. Because God, when we ask you to come into our life, We ask you to be number one, not two or three or four, but one. God, we love you, and we thank you for everything you're doing. Jesus, I pray, amen.